chapter number one. Hebrews chapter number one. You may have noticed uh, a slight addition to our our typical morning order of service. We've added a, a second scripture reading intentionally and purposefully. We're going to be reading a psalm uh, through each, each service. And so you can imagine uh, it'll take us three, three and a half years uh, to get through the psalms. Uh, but uh, you know, we're admonished to encourage one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That doesn't just have to be via song. Uh, it can be through the public reading of that psalm. And so uh, we're excited to be able to uh, do that, to go on that journey through the Psalms in our our morning service. And as covenant members, uh, we may uh, ask you if if you're willing to to come and and read a Psalm within our morning worship service. Uh, So don't be surprised if if you're asked of that. We had uh, Dave Painter uh, do that this morning and so thankful for the opportunity to involve other covenant members uh, in our worship service in the days ahead. And so we're excited, excited about that. Uh, but again, just a, a quick word. Again, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to go on the uh, elders retreat, providing the resources and, and the time to be able to do that. You know, every elder retreat that we've been on has, has been so unique, but it's been just what we needed as far as uh, gaining wisdom from the Lord and clarity uh, through different issues or challenges or next steps. And so we're excited uh, to be able to communicate some of those uh, progress points uh, at our fifth Sunday fellowship. We'll be giving some additional feedback on that as far as uh, some different initiatives and, and things that might look a little bit different in this coming year. But uh, all through it, we pray that you would continue to keep us in prayer and uh, ultimately uh, remember that we're all under the headship of Christ as we desire to, as leaders, elders, to be sheep among sheep and honoring the Lord and just faithfully serve His church in that way. Um, Hebrews chapter number one. The title of our message this morning is Identity Explained. Identity Explained. On this opening sentence, really of verses 1 through 4, it's one one thought in in the original Greek here, but uh, really the author of Hebrews is working to establish some very important truths that will serve as a foundation for all the other doctrine and teaching that will be built upon as we continue to work through this expository series through the book of Hebrews. And above all, the goal in this, this first four verses, the author desires for us to understand very clearly who Jesus is. That's the title of our message this morning, Identity Explained. Pastor Dave very carefully kicked off our series last week with an introduction to the book of Hebrews, discussing some cultural and historical elements, working through the lack of authorship in this particular epistle, some of the interpretive challenges that will come, but uh, ultimately he kicked off in verses 1 and the first part of verse number 2, and I'm going to pick up right where he left off. But one of the key elements that I'm thankful Pastor Dave really focused our attention on was the continuity between the Old and New Testaments. That long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And namely, those prophets were were looking forward to the long-awaited-for Messiah. They would be looking for that 
seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15. And really all through the Old Testament, prophecy looking forward to the Messiah. And then we get to the Gospels, our Advent series. Emmanuel, God with us, coming and taking on flesh, fulfilling perfectly in every nuance, in every detail, every prophecy of Scripture. Christ has come. Then the remainder of the New Testament, certainly looking back to this Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Redeemer, has come to take away the sins of the world. It's all about the Gospel. God had revealed Himself many times in many ways to the prophets, but now, verse 2, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God has spoken. I love those words, don't you? You praise the Lord that God has spoken? That He has not left us in our sin, but He has revealed His redemptive plan to us through the pages of these inspired and inerrant Scriptures? God has spoken. Old Testament, New Testament, everything in between, God has spoken. And what a joy and privilege it is for us to hold the completed canon of Scripture. For us to have the the entire big picture, to see that redemptive plan in the Old Testament, to see it fulfilled all the way through the pages of Scripture. God has spoken in these last days, by His Son. The author then attempts to raise the significance of this rewill to to deepen our sense of awareness that God has spoken by His Son. How does He do this? He does this by explaining the identity of the Son. Identity matters. Would you agree with that? There's a lot of different things and tasks and activities that you can't do unless you have the proper identity, right? Um, I recently had to go on a business trip, and in order to fly, in order to get my ticket on that plane, what do I have to do? I have to be able to give TSA my driver's license. I don't know exactly what goes on when I give them my driver's license, but they're checking something, making sure that I am who I am. They're checking my identity to make sure that I'm not a risk or have any troubling issues in, in my past that would uh, put me on, on some type of list that I couldn't fly. Making sure that I'm not trying to impersonate somebody else, right? There is some checks and balances. Identity is being verified to ensure that this ticket matches up with the person that is actually getting on the plane. In order to vote in the state of Missouri, you have to present what? A a driver's license or a state ID in order to verify again that you are who you said you are. Identity matters. And understanding who someone actually is has a tremendous impact on how I relate to that individual. If, regardless of your political affiliation, if... President Joe Biden were to walk through those doors in the back, 
me identifying him as the president of the United States of America, that is going to impact how I relate to that man. Understanding his role and authority, his position in the United States of America, I'm going to respect his his person. I'm going to respect the office. I'm going to relate to him in an appropriate way based off of who I know him to be. I can remember a simple, somewhat humorous illustration of me not getting an identity right. I was just a young child, maybe four or five. I was in a church setting similar to this. Church had just gotten out, and like many of our young kids do, they're going to cross the aisles, and they're going to go find a buddy or a friend, and they're going to say hi, and they're going to talk about their week, and um, who knows what they talk about, quite frankly. I can't remember, but I'm sure it's a lot of really important stuff. And they have a good old time, right? Just being friends and and connecting. And I certainly was doing that. And I can remember conversations that my mom or dad gave me saying, hey, son, I don't want you running around the church. I I want you to be able to see you. And uh, those memories and those thoughts are are perking up in my mind. And I'm thinking, oh, I need to find mom or dad because that's where I'm supposed to be. I can remember scanning the crowd after church. Everybody's talking, fellowshipping all the hustle and bustle that goes on with that. And I can remember scanning the crowd and identifying my mom. So I thought. And I can remember quickly, with a sense of urgency, remembering that, oh man, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I need to get to mom. Hustling over to mom and and grabbing the hand that I thought was my mom. As a little four-year-old would look up at mom and smile, and she would look down at me and smile. And as I did that, and we met eyes, I realized the hand that I'm holding is not my mom. I can remember embarrassment. I can remember a little bit of of dread, like as a little kid you often do, thinking that you're with your mom or your dad, and now you don't know where they're at, and there's all that just chaos that goes into your mind. And I remember thinking, that is not my mom, and I have no idea where she is. I got that lady's identity wrong. And as such... I related to her based off of who I thought she was. I, as a four and five-year-old kid, didn't make it a habit of going up to random women and holding their hands unless they were my mom, right? Uh, I engage with somebody based off of their identity, who I know them to be. The same thing is true in our relationship with the Lord. If we truly know Him to be who He is as revealed in Scripture... And I don't just know that, but I believe that in my heart. It should impact how I relate to Jesus. It should change how I engage in gospel endeavor. It should change how I engage within the body of Christ based off of getting the identity of the one I am following right. And so the author of Hebrews is is taking some lengthy time really all of chapter number one, to establish the identity of Jesus Christ. Why? Why why would he take the time in this sermon, in this epistle, to do such a thing? Because he knows that identity matters. Identity matters. Author desires deeply and intently for his readers to get the identity of Jesus right. 
And as such, the author desires for his readers to relate to Jesus in a way that would reflect his true identity as the Son of God. So the big idea of our text this morning is this. God has spoken in the past and throughout all ages to the present of the hope and grace of the gospel that is found in the person and work of Jesus. This is, again, a simple summary statement of these these first four verses. God has spoken in the past and throughout all ages to the present of the hope and grace of the gospel that is found in the person and work of Jesus. So this morning, as we dive into verses 2 through 4, we are going to examine six different identifiers that, that will serve as external and theological doctrinal proof of the true identity of this Son of God that the author of Hebrews puts front and center here as he kicks off this sermon. Identifier number one is this. The Son of God, we're going to look at at the Son of God as rightful heir. Identifier number one, the Son of God as rightful heir. God has spoken to us by things. You see that in the middle of verse number two. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. This is the first identifier, again, that that is given by the author to his readers as a proof of, of revealing the true identity of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, has been appointed by God the Father as heir of all things. This is the identity of Jesus. This is who He is. He's not just a good teacher or some self-help guru that spreads love and kindness in this world. Have you ever heard somebody in this world try to describe Jesus in similar terms as that? Sidelining His deity? Minimizing and diluting His true identity? The author of Hebrews would have us raise our expectation and understanding of who Jesus is. And he starts out by describing the identity as he is an heir of all things. Jesus Christ is not some global inclusivity champion that should be applauded for a nice message. Jesus is the heir of all things. How and why? Remember, the the prophets foretold this, and specifically we see this as a direct fulfillment of a very important messianic psalm. And this might be, maybe the Lord will align it like this uh, in some other psalms, but next week is psalm number two that we'll read in our worship service. And it just happens to be that Hebrews chapter number one, verse number five, looks back to psalm two, verses seven and eight. Psalmist says this, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Again, we'll dive into that in much more detail next week as we continue on into verse number five and beyond. 
But Jesus is the rightful heir. This is given to him as a result of being the Son of God. I don't know about you, but I, as I was working through this, I was trying to put my covenant membership hat on along with my, my pastor and preacher hat on, and I'm thinking, what, what's the implications of this reality that Jesus is heir of all things? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you as, as we read the truth of that text? Yes, we affirm that. We believe that that's who Jesus is. He is he's the heir of all things. That's good to know. That's great to know. But how does that impact me in my life? Are you maybe asking that similar question? Well, let's dive into that a little bit. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 20 and 21. Peter says this, I was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So that your faith and hope are in God. This revelation of Jesus' rightful rule, or excuse me, excuse me, rightful heir. It is for our faith and hope in God. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what heirs? And heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. What does it matter that Jesus is heir of all things? If Jesus is heir, if Jesus has secured an inheritance with the Father, then guess what? If we are adopted into His family as a result of the work of Jesus Christ in the Gospel, if Jesus is an heir, then we too are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ of the same hope. And this same eternal promise. Because Jesus is the heir of all things. By grace, through faith, the gospel miraculously allows us to become joint heirs with Jesus. So then, this theological truth that at first glance may not look very practical or helpful for me in my daily living, this, this truth becomes more than just an academic pursuit. It becomes more than just a, hey, great to know type of reality about Jesus Christ. Rather, it's extremely relevant. It's extremely relational and eternally impactful for us all. If Jesus is not an heir of all things, we have no inheritance. That's a big deal. And so I hope you're thankful for the goodness of Christ that has been shown towards us in the Gospel. So the first identifier, the Son of God as rightful heir. The second identifier is this, the Son of God. We see the Son of God as eternal Creator. The Son of God as eternal Creator. Here the author is appealing to Jesus as Creator to further establish the true identity of Jesus. Again, I've, I've used that illustration of, of a diamond. There's, there's these beautiful facets of who Jesus is. Jesus in the Gospel is not one-dimensional. It's not just about going to heaven and not going to hell. Friends, there's so much more beauty and majesty in the Gospel to be known and understood in the relational terms 
of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look now at the Son of God as eternal Creator. This particular nuance, again, is extremely significant as we see, quite frankly, a lot of false teaching and misdirected doctrine that flows from a lack of understanding of this fundamental truth. Jesus is the eternal Creator. There's many that would say that Jesus was created by God. Not co-eternal and existent with the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How can Jesus be the Creator if He's the creation all at once? The answer to that is that those two statements cannot simultaneously be true. Either Jesus is Creator or He is creation. The author of Hebrews appeals to the truth that Jesus is Creator. Through whom also, the author says, He created the world. This is the personal work of Jesus. This is the one who has saved us. The eternal creator. Does that give us hope and peace that by God's grace through faith we can place our trust and confidence in that one? The one who spoke all things into existence. He is the one that is doing the saving. Friends, we are in good hands. Amen? We, we have nothing to fear, nothing to fret. No man can pluck us out of His hands. What a joy and a hope of eternal security and assurance that we can have in our personal relationship with the Lord. Because He is the eternal Creator. Do you remember our hinge verse? Verse number two. Everything, verses one through four, really the entire chapter, spring off of verse number two. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. This only really has significance based on the identity of the one speaking. Because Jesus is the rightful heir and because He is the eternal Creator, what this Son says and what this Son did, it matters. Because He is Creator. Because He is heir. And as a result, those realities have eternal implications on my life. As a human being created in the image of God. And as we are beginning to understand his identity a bit more clearly, after each identifier, there should be a deeper sense of exposure to whether or not you are relating rightly to this Son of God. John 1, verse number 3, reminds us that Jesus truly is the Creator. Do you remember it? All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Colossians chapter number 1, verses 15-20, through 20, a beautiful passage that affirms the truthfulness of Jesus as Creator. 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. So many overlaps and similarities to our passage here in Hebrews chapter number one. Friends, let me ask you this. Do you affirm Jesus as the eternal creator? It's not a popular truth to believe in our day. We know that the Bible is not a science book, but the book of the Bible certainly informs our view on science. We believe that in the beginning, God did create. We affirm that. We believe that. God didn't need any other thing to assist. He didn't need some process of evolution or some other natural laws that were outside of His authority or rule. This didn't happen by chance. We believe in an intelligent creation that God did this work through His Son Jesus. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the eternal Creator. Can you defend these truths when challenged in the marketplace of life? Are you in the Word of God? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? The eternal Creator. Friends, we have just a few blocks away from us, uh, Latter-day Saints, Mormon Church. Christine and I living in this direct neighborhood, we have often Mormon missionaries that will cycle through our neighborhood. We've, we've got two new missionaries that uh, are pinging us and uh, asking us to meet with us. And certainly I always take the opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with them. But one of the key differences in our understanding of Scripture and Christianity as a whole that really makes the Mormon church a false gospel is that they do not affirm Jesus as the eternal coexistent Creator of the world. Whether it be Arianism, of old, or again, the, the clever theological guys of the Mormon church. I don't know if you've had interactions with Mormons recently. They're getting more and more creative with trying to make everything. Hey, we're all Christians. Hey, we all believe the same thing. No, we do not. And I, friends, I wonder, are we equipped? Are you ready to have those conversations to challenge them with not your own thoughts or ideas or opinions, but with the truth of God's Word that is settled Eternal. So we should reject all forms of this heresy, whatever form it would, it would take in this world that we live in. 
Jesus not only is creator of the world, but look with me at the middle of verse number 3, and we'll bounce back down to this in, in just a few moments, but lightly connected to this reality as Jesus as eternal creator, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. There's omnipotence. There's sovereignty. He has authority and rule. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the One who saves us, He holds the universe together by the power of His Word. That's, that's incredible. You just soak in that and, and just let those words come into your heart and linger there for a moment to, to think about the stars in the heavens, the earth that we live on, the beauty, beauty of creation, all the complexities that I can't even come close to wrap my mind around in this world. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, holds all of that together by the word of His power. This is the God that we serve. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus. This is Emmanuel, the God of the Gospel. This is what we must affirm and know. This is what the author of Hebrews, the Son of God, desires for us to understand and know and believe and to walk in. The Son of God is not only rightful heir, eternal creator, but the third identifier we're going to look at is this, the Son of God as equally God. The Son of God as equally God. Again, look at me at verse number three. There really are three identifiers that are listed back to back that all point to the Son of God as equally God. These three phrases are, He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. And and, and number three, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Orthodox Christianity has held firmly to the Trinitarian view of the Godhead. Three distinct persons in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit revealed to us throughout the pages of Scripture as one unified Godhead. And Jesus is equally God within that Trinitarian view. Again, going back to our illustration of Mormon doctrine and and beliefs, what are the implications of them not believing that Jesus Christ is coexistent and eternally um, God. What does that look like downstream? Well, ultimately, it means that you're going to not believe in the deity of Jesus. You reduce the personal work of Jesus when we allow these, these things to creep in. So again, we must affirm and believe and know what Scripture says and to believe that ourselves. The first phrase in verse number three is, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus, the Son of God, emanates the glory of God. Jesus is not just the reflection of God's glory, but even further, the Son of God, as we look at the the original words here in the Greek, it literally has the idea of radiating. Right? Radiates the glory of the Godhead through His person and work. So all that God is... In that Trinitarian view of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it is made visible to us through the personal work of Jesus. 
This is why Jesus said in John chapter number 14, verses 8 through 11, Philip, in a discussion with Philip, he said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it long enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus, when He walked and lived and interacted in this world, there was many signs, miracles, and wonders He revealed that He had authority over nature. He revealed that He had authority over sickness. He revealed even He had authority over death. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. The Son of God is equally God. Second phrase pointing to the deity of the Son of God is that He is described as the exact imprint of of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. Some would say the exact representation of his nature. But I think this, this understanding falls a bit short, and I'm thankful for the, the translation that the ESV provides. The exact imprint, this word in, in the Greek and, and the understanding of the cultural dynamics here of this word, it would really draw out this meaning or this idea that that would carry a design on a coin. What, what does that coin do? It, it replicates the die or the cast that, that, that it is pressed into. It's, it's the exact imprint. Every detail that is in that cast is exactly what comes out as it goes through that process. It also would have the idea of an insignia, right? And a wax seal that reflects the stamp that is, that is pressed into it. These, again, would be cultural representations of, of these illustrations that the author of Hebrews would be using here. So Jesus is, is God, and if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. The third statement used is to establish Jesus as equally God is This phrase, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. This speaks again to the sovereignty of God. His authority over all things. Speak to His omnipotence, His power, the truth that God is all-powerful. All the laws of of nature, order, life, and death, they are all in submission to the Son of God. And it is by the word of His power the universe holds together. It's incredible. This is the true identity of the Son of God. He is the rightful heir, the eternal creator. He is equally God. And for the sake of time, as I'm looking at the um, traction that we've got to cover here, we're going to combine uh, our fourth and fifth points together here to, to try to accelerate through. We're going to look at number four. The fourth identifier is the Son of God as anointing priest. Excuse me. Yeah, anointing priest. I was supposed to say atoning priest. Sorry for the, the spell check there. 
And then the fifth identifier is we're going to look at the Son of God as Messianic King. The atoning priest and the Messianic King. Let's look at verse 3 again towards the end there. We see the author of Hebrews goes on, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So first we're going to look at the Son of God as the atoning priest. Do you remember our Advent series? I hope that the impactfulness, the value, the way that God worked maybe during that time of Advent, during that Christmas season, I hope that that hasn't quickly faded away just a few weeks past. But do you remember that Jesus was the Redeemer? Do you remember the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, the one who has come to give His life as what, a ransom for many? Do you remember this? This is why Jesus came? The atoning priest will be a core theme that we'll see throughout this book of Hebrews. We'll see much more taught, explained, or so much to priest and Jesus, the mediator that stands between God and man. There's so much to unfold and so much for us to learn and to glean uh, in this sermon, in this letter, the book of Hebrews. But the atoning priest, it is He that made purification of sins. Because He was and He is the only one that could make purification for our sins. Friends, there are no good works that we could do that could ever purify our sin. There's no levels to attain in church membership and leadership that could ever provide purification for sins. There's no amount of money that you could give. There's no efforts in philanthropy. There's no good works that you could ever attain to. There's no elements of sacrifice that you could ever make that could ever do the work of purification of sins. We need a Savior to do that work. Jesus not only provides, do you remember these words, expiation of our sin? That's the forgiveness and removal of our sins through the personal work of Jesus. But Jesus also provides propitiation for our sin. Meaning, He alone satisfies the judgment that our sin demands. Thus, the atoning priest makes purification for sins. Jesus did that through the giving of His own life. Without the shedding of blood. Meaning, a real and literal sacrifice. There is no remission of sin. If Jesus did not do that work, friends, we are still in our sin. So closely tied. And really as a result of this victorious work that the Son of God secured, He is also identified not only as the atoning priest, but also the Messianic King. Because of who Jesus is and because of what He has done, because the tomb is empty and because He has defeated sin, death, and hell, He has earned the right by the merits of His own personal work to sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high. 
This is the messianic king. This is who Jesus is. He's not just a suffering servant. He is that. And that is beautiful in its own. And He alone has the right to sit at the right hand of the Father. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 22, Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him? Romans 8, 34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? It is the Messianic King. The Son of God. An atoning priest and Messianic King at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. That by grace through faith I I can be a By His good pleasure, a joint heir, fully justified before a holy God. Why? Because He has made purification for my sins. An adopted son or daughter, He is making intercession for you and for me. Friends, this is the Jesus that we serve. This is the Jesus that saved us. This is the Jesus that we follow. And although it doesn't always feel like Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother, friends, remember this morning that He surely is. Because He has done the work. Christ is enough for me as we declared and sang this morning. Nothing else is needed. No other work is to be done. It is finished because of Jesus. Friends, as a joint heir, as a fully justified and adopted son or daughter, Remember this morning that Jesus knows you. Jesus sees you. Jesus desires to be all these things to you and for you through the gospel. So, what implications does that have on my life? Stop striving, stop trying to earn. Favor in the eyes of God. Be still and know that He is God. Rest in that reality. Go to Jesus. Find His yoke that is easy and His burden is light. This is a good, good Father that we serve. Friends, I wonder, do you know Jesus to for your sins, toning priest, the only one that could make purification for your sins. Is he your messianic king? Does he have the rightful place not only at the right hand of the Father, but is he had the rightful place in your heart, in your life? I wonder this morning if you're living your life by God's grace in light of the identifiers that we've been shown through the Son of God. Our sixth and final identifier this morning, we find in verse number 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. 
Our sixth and final identifier is the Son of God as supremely better. The Son of God as supremely better. Having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Pastor Dave alluded to this last week, and I'm sure it won't be the last time we say it through the series, but I hope we've already started to see this undeniable truth come to life, and it's this, that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Philippians chapter number 2, verses 9-11, through 11, do you remember it? As we've recently went through the book of Philippians. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Son of God is supremely better. There is no other name by which men must be saved. We'll continue to build on this final identifier that Jesus is supremely better. Really throughout the remainder of chapter number 1, we're going to see this contrast of how Jesus is better than angels and and so on and so forth. So we're looking forward over the next uh, few weeks to unfold that and unpack that. But friends, I wonder this this morning, understanding who Jesus is will allow us by God's grace to relate to Him rightly and and more biblically. So friends, the author of Hebrews, my desire as, as an elder, as a pastor and a preacher this morning, I hope that we can remember that God has spoken to us. By His Son. And who He is. The Son of God. And what He has done. And what He has recorded for us in Scripture matters. And it all has eternal implications on my life. So friends, I wonder, do you know Him? Do you know the Son of God as described in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1-4? through Do you know Jesus Christ as your rightful heir, as your eternal creator? Do you know Jesus, the Son of God, as equally God? Do you affirm and believe that? Do you know Jesus, the Son of God, as the atoning priest and the messianic king? Do you know Jesus Christ and believe that He is supremely better? Have you responded to this call to follow Him, to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow Him? Do you truly believe that the Son of God is God? Not just knowing in terms of some academic pursuit, but by God's grace, do you have evidence of this gift of saving faith in your life? If we truly believe these things about the Son of God, our lives, our families, our marriages, and friends, I'm confident our church would be radically changed as the Gospel changes us. Identity explained. I hope and pray this morning that we've seen Jesus for who He truly is. The only hope for the world. Would you join me in prayer this evening? Father God, we thank You for Your love towards us. 
Thank you this morning that you have revealed these truths about your son, Jesus Christ, in the pages of Scripture. I thank you for this letter to the Hebrews, this sermon, this epistle that has been preserved over so many years that we have right now the opportunity to to dig into it, unfold the, the beautiful nuances of the gospel, understanding who you are, understanding who we are, and as a result, how we can rightly relate to you as Savior and Lord. Father, I pray that even as we close out this sermon, I pray that the beauty and the glory of the gospel would linger in our hearts and our minds even this afternoon, today, this evening, this coming week. I pray as we look forward to continuing our way through this book of Hebrews that we would lean into this opportunity. We would look forward with great expectation for what you're going to do in and through your inspired word to change us, to become more like Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.